Stories. Everybody's got them, and we can learn from each other. History can be traced through letters and writings, but the one thing that has remained throughout the generations is the oral tradition. Oral history is one attempt to pass along the stories, tales, musings, and remembrances of one family for the benefit of listeners for generations to come. Join us now for this episode of Oral History with Jeff Zulkowski. Thank you for listening today. I want to apologize for uh, the lack of an episode the past couple of times. Um, Just some things going on in my personal life that kept me from recording an episode. But you who listen faithfully, I appreciate you continuing and staying with us. I particularly thank those who uh, are our patrons that help us along the way. And it's just been uh, several weeks, and I wanted to get back into the swing of things and talk to you a little bit about a few things. I had wanted to discuss my past loves, but have since, after discussing that with my wife, felt better about not doing that. And when I say past loves, I'm really talking about girlfriends when I was in kindergarten, first, second, third grade, etc. But still, um, some of those people might not appreciate those remembrances, some of the girls that I once dated as a five, six, seven, eight-year-old. Um, not that we really dated, but so we're going to move on, and I want to talk to you about something that's been on my heart and has been in the national news lately, um, where I sit right now in the spring of 2023. We've just come out of a season where uh, college in Kentucky has gone through what was called revival um, in some circles. And revival is a very loaded term within Christianity. Um, Throughout history, there have been awakenings or revivals. When I got saved in a church in Southern Colorado in the early 1980s for a good several decades prior, revival meant one thing. Revival meant that the church was going to bring a pastor in somebody other than the pastor who taught every week, and he was going to have a series of camp meetings, so to speak, on Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, and typically Wednesday night. And it was an opportunity to really, really, really kind of pound the gospel home and an opportunity for people to invite people who didn't otherwise go to church or maybe weren't believers or hadn't been in a long time so that they could hear from this pastor as he talked about the need for each of us to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The history of that actually comes from what were camp meetings, what were tent-type revivals. You can kind of picture in your mind's eye uh, a dirt road and somewhere along that dirt road is a flashing sign with an arrow that says revival and it's pointing to an empty field but in that empty field stands a a large white tent and the ground's muddy probably covered in straw as you make your way out of your car from the dirt parking lot up to the the tent you hear the music being played and and then you sit down in a series of plastic chairs and This is where revival was taught. This is what revival, at least in the church's eyes, looked like. Um, But it's really not what revival is. The, 
the great awakenings that have occurred, and that's what many of them have been called, as they've occurred throughout history, at least in America, it's been more of something that very started very quietly, started very unassumingly, and it started with someone praying for maybe decades for God to move <clears throat> for God to move in the midst of the people who were in that particular circle. Um, one of the names that you may or may not know is a gentleman by the name of Jonathan Edwards. He lived in the mid seven, early to mid 1700s. And Jonathan Edwards was a preacher and he was called to preach one night at the beginning of what then what has now been become known as the First Great Awakening. And he was in Northampton, Massachusetts, preaching a message that he wasn't even expected to deliver that night. But as he as he delivered that message, it's become known as the message known as this hand, the sinners in the hands of an angry God. He delivered that message, and what was written about that particular move of God is that it was said that it pleased God to display his free and sovereign mercy in the conversion of a great multitude of souls in a short space of time, turning them from a formal, cold, and careless profession of Christianity to the lively exercise of every Christian grace and the powerful practice of our holy religion. I've heard some say that that is as clear a definition as you could possibly have as to what revival is. It's not necessarily some overly exuberant, overly demonstrative move of God. It's not something that where emotions are stirred first. Really, the stirring that occurs when God begins to move on his people is it happens within the church of Jesus Christ, and it happens in individuals' lives. And people who have long kind of been a part of church and played church and been around church and feel like they were believers because that's what their family always did or have attended because that's why, uh, because a, a, a loved one, a wife or kids were attending. Even people who believe that they were fully in, enveloped in their faith, when God begins to move in their hearts and their minds, they are moved to a point of seeing their lives in comparison to the holiness of God. And when that comparison comes forth, people's lives are changed and people's hearts are changed. And that's where revival happens. Revival happens first in the hearts of believers. People who maybe are close, maybe are sort of walking with Christ, but uh, just kind of going through the motions, their hearts are kindled anew with a belief and a trust and a faith in God that they've never had before. And as that begins to happen in some individuals' lives, it begins to grow, and sometimes it grows rather quickly, and you have things like the Great Awakening in 1734, the Second Great Awakening in the early 1800s, things like the Jesus Movement that has become uh, a center of topic lately with the re release of a movie called The Jesus Revolution and the story of Chuck Smith, who is the founding pastor of the Calvary Chapel group of churches, and how Lonnie Frisbee, the, the hippie, and these two worlds clashed and God began to move. 
And even more recently in this little town in Wilmore, Kentucky, um, where at Asbury University, where students began to feel the move of God in their lives. True revival, though, is not something that can be copied and moved somewhere else. One of the difficulties of uh, belief about revival, and this happened in the 80s and 90s, is that when God began to move in some place, churches who were interested in revival would send people to go and grab a hold of that blessing and bring it back to their church. I personally don't believe that's how God works. He's not something that can be captured in a jar and brought back and released in my congregation. He is the ever-present creator God who wants to have a full and meaningful relationship with me and wants to live out his life and his mission through me. And if I begin to view my life through the lens of God's holiness, that's where revival happens. And it happens in an individual's heart and life first. Believers. And then as believers are changed, as those who know Christ and were seemingly following him, but maybe weren't following him to the fullest extent of what he could accomplish in and through them, then the outward world looks on. And, and, the, and the, the world who doesn't know him is drawn to this fragrance of Christ, this, this wonderful move that's happening, and then they're brought into the fold and they become believers in Christ. And that's when more and more and more people are added to Jesus's family. When God moved at the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts, it was through the preaching of God's word. It was through God speaking through his disciples and people hearing that message, yes, in their own language. And yes, there's this whole discussion amongst churches about what that means and do tongues still exist in the church today? And there are some denominations that believe yes, and there are some denominations that believe no. But the bottom line is God had a plan to reach the world in that first century through the culture, through the Greek culture, which was the prevalent culture through all of the Mediterranean world. And it was the easiest way for God to propagate his message was through this Greek culture. And so he spoke to people in their own languages so they could take what was true that Jesus is Lord and Savior, and he is the king of the world, and he is the one who is here to change us and take us away from our sinfulness and bring us into relationship with God through his death, burial, and resurrection. And it was through that Greek culture and through the various languages around that that God moved in Pentecost and in that particular day, 3,000 men were added to the church in a single day. And when God has moved in subsequent times, it's been through the church. He has 
reached believers in the church and he has changed their hearts and lives. And then they become ambassadors to take that message into their workplace and into their schools and into their families and into their everyday life so that others can be drawn to God through what God has accomplished within those believers. This is what revival is. So let's talk about a couple of things. Let's talk about the Jesus Revolution. Mid-1970s, you had this move of God that took place in this 60s and 70s in America. There were several charismatic revivals, Pentecostal, holiness churches, college campuses, Catholic churches, and even some mainline denominations. But in this Jesus movement where young people were actually coming out of this love and drug culture of the 1960s, they were starting to take the Bible at face value, and they were introduced through gentlemen like Chuck Smith and others who preached the gospel to this group that had felt completely disenfranchised and preached to them the gospel of a personal salvation, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Asbury College at that time was one of those colleges in Wilmore, Kentucky that went through this type of a revival. And throughout that time, God began to reach young people. God has done that very many times on college campuses. He's had he's moved in businesses and he's moved in businessmen at times. He's but he moves in people that are lukewarm, so to speak. They they think they're living a full-out life for Christ, but they're really not. They're kind of going through the motions. And for me, as I look at what happened recently in Asbury, in, in Asbury College again in Wilmore, Kentucky, is that's what genuinely took place in these in this college auditorium. They had a they had a a meeting. They they have a chapel every day, and it's a liberal arts school, um, not necessarily a Christian college, but these kids were required if they could, to go to chapel. And some of them would go to chapel and probably just to get the course grade of, oh, I attended chapel, so I get that checked off of my box. But in reality, this particular meeting and the pastor who preached the message at this particular meeting said he felt like it was a, it completely fell flat. What he preached did not change anybody anyone's hearts or anyone's lives probably felt much the same way that Jonathan Edwards felt when he preached that message the time just before he preached it in 1734. But this time in in Kentucky, God used that message and used his presence to change the lives of these young people. And they began to stay, and they began to worship quietly, and they began to weep because they were being confronted with the real presence of a holy God. And they began to repent themselves, and they began to reconcile with one another. And these are the marks of what true revival looks like. It's a true heart change that takes place in an individual. And the desire, after looking inward and seeing what one's life is really like in comparison to this holy God, 
There's a desire for change. There's a desire for repentance. If you don't know what repentance is, repentance is simply turning from the direction you're going because you know that it's not the direction in which God is moving and turning and going God's direction. Typically, that's 180 degrees. My ways are not your ways, the Bible says. And so when I'm following my own ways, repentance for me is to turn from that, whatever it may be, whatever sin I might be involved in, and turning and turning back to God and trusting him completely for his plan for my life. And this is what was going on in these young people in Kentucky. Simple, quiet worship. Simple, quiet repentance. Simple, quiet following of God's voice. And what happened in all of that, and and this is purely my opinion, I did not attend Asbury, I didn't go, I wasn't a part of it, I only know what I've read, but there was an, an awful lot of this desire on people's parts to A, go and see what was going on, but in some people's lives, a desire to go and capture that genie in a bottle, that lightning in a bottle, and bring it back to their church. And the school itself began, began to be overwhelmed by the number of people showing up. And the town became overwhelmed by the number of people showing up. This is a small town of about 3,000, 3,500 people who suddenly has tens of thousands of people at their doorstep. And yes, we all hunger for what God is doing. But to go and capture it like, like lightning in a bottle and bring it back to your church, I don't believe that's, I don't believe God can be captured that way. Revival for me means be appreciative of what God has done at Asbury and has done at some other colleges and what he did in the 70s at Asbury, what he did through the Jesus movement, what he did throughout history in the first and second great awakenings and the, the other awakenings that have occurred, and, and understand how he moves, but also understand, understand that he can only do that in me if I find my way to the ground I find my way to a prostrate condition on my face, on my knees, before a holy God, asking him to change me. I had a pastor preach once that revival happens if each of us will draw a circle around us, step into that circle and say, God, I want you to start revival and I want you to start it here. I saw this demonstrated at a men's retreat when I was on staff at Cuyahoga Valley. And we all went and we, we heard this preaching about drawing the circle on the ground and stepping into it and becoming one who would cry out with a pure heart, God, start revival here with me. Well, those men, because that retreat was out at a camp outside of Cleveland, Ohio, when those men came back to the church, they kind of gathered at the church again to, to pray, and they drew circles all over the parking lot. And I remember walking into work the following Monday, and one of the pastors was concerned that the church had been vandalized. He, he, he couldn't understand what all these circles written in chalk on the parking lot meant. And we had to explain to him, well, that came from this teaching we had at this men's retreat, and it's not vandalism. It's just 
guys drawing circles and stepping into those circles and saying, God, start here, start with me. It's the growth of that. It's when God really begins to move in multiple people in one location, like that definition that I read to you before from Jonathan Edwards, first grade, the first great awakening when John, Jonathan Edwards preached that message. It's that. It's God moving in multiple people's hearts in a small amount of time in a small enclosed area. But again, as that happens, we as the church need to guard against going and trying to capture that. We just need to be about praying for ourselves, praying for our families, praying for our loved ones, praying for those that we're ministering to and witnessing to on a regular basis, that God would start here with me right now. Now, that's all the theory of revival. I want to spend the next few minutes just talking to you about my personal heart, because God has been dealing with me about this issue of personal revival for a while now. And it really began to stir in me before any of this happened at Asbury College. It happened before this movie came out. It's it's not been it's been more public because of those two things in in our society, but really I believe that there is a group of people whose hearts cry have been for some time that God would begin a a strong move of his holy spirit in our lives. And again, if you're not a believer and you don't understand, what happens is when God begins to draw you to himself, and it is he who does the drawing, when he begins to speak to you and he begins to put circumstances and people into your life that help you to understand what this gospel is, this good news of what Jesus Christ did, that he came to earth for one purpose, and that was to be a sacrifice for your sin and for my sin. He came to satisfy God's wrath because our only punishment for the sinfulness in our lives, which we are born with, which is demonstrated when we're two years old before we ever learn anything. We learn to be selfish. We learn to be belligerent. We learn to say no and mine when we're two. That sinfulness, that sinfulness that we don't want to talk about in society today, but that we know is there, that desire of our heart to go a different way than what God said is right, to fill our lives with money or wealth or fame or drugs or sex or whatever is not God, that's sin. And again, we don't like to talk about it, but when we begin to recognize that we are going to stand before a holy God someday, we begin to understand our sinfulness in comparison to his holiness, and we are driven to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're driven to this Jesus hanging on a cross for me, for the sin that I have committed in my life. And I'm driven to the compassion of a holy God that would provide his own son as a sacrifice for me that I may have personal relationship with him. And Jesus didn't just suffer and die on the cross. He suffered and he died 
and he rose again. This is what we celebrate. The suffering and death we celebrate. Yes, we celebrate it on Good Friday each year. The rising is what we celebrate on Easter Sunday, that he rose from the grave, that he went back to be with God, and he was the perfect sacrifice, and he changed the way we have access to God. When Jesus gave up his spirit on the cross, he cried out, it is finished, and at that moment, the, the veil that separated God's holy of holies where his manifest presence was at that time in the temple, it tore from top to bottom, huge curtain, huge thick curtain, tore from top to bottom as a demonstration of God tearing open access to him so that we could then have personal relationship with God through what Jesus had accomplished on the cross. As Jesus goes back, and sits at the right hand of the Father, he now intercedes for us. And in turn, he sends the Holy Spirit to live within us, the Holy Spirit being the third part of the Trinity. He comes to dwell within the believer. And throughout our lifetime, when we're first saved, when I was first saved at the age of 18, I was hungry to share that with anybody that would listen. I recall having gone to a concert not too long after I'd been saved. And one of the pieces of swag that they distributed at the concert were these little medals because it was a, it was a, an artist by the name of Russ Taff and the tour was called the Medals Tour. And they gave out these little blue and red ribbons with a medal on it. And you were to wear that medal as a way to start conversations with people about your faith in Jesus Christ. And I wore that medal. I wore it to work. I wore it on the outside of my vest at the retail store that I worked for. They eventually asked me to wear it under the vest. But I would talk to anybody, anytime about my desire and my new relationship with Jesus Christ. I, I did it on the college campus I was at. I was hungry to share Jesus wherever I was at. And it was so new and it was so, it was palpable this brand new relationship with Jesus Christ. My entire life was devoted to that. But as life grabs onto us, as things happen around us, as some disappointments set up, as some things happen that didn't go the way they were planned or, or there's pain or hurt in our lives, we began to pull back from God. And eventually, we lose some of that fire and we don't share our faith and we find ourselves being just going through the motions and kind of living out a life of Christianity instead of living forth a life of Jesus Christ. And that happened to me. I think about my life, I think about my time, especially at KTSC TV. It was a time in my life where I was known as a Christian, but my responses to people were not very Christ-like. And God used some circumstances to revive me. He, he did it through a new job, but he, he changed some things about me. But very recently, being on staff at a church, being a pastor by name, being, a, being an associate pastor on a staff in a church, I have felt my heart growing cold again. And 
again, even before the Jesus Revolution movie, even before the Asbury Awakening or Revival or whatever you want to call it, God has been stirring in me a desire for personal revival, a return to personal holiness. And that means for me, again, turning away from those things that have gotten easier to participate in that I know are not God and turning back toward God, that 180 degree turn and walking back where Jesus is at. And I can't do anything to earn Jesus's favor. I can just pray that God moves me in that direction and, and I allow him to move me in that direction and change me. And then what happens is the people around me begin to realize something is different in Jeff. Even as a pastor, something's different in Jeff. My wife hopefully will see it. My daughter will hopefully see it. Members of our congregation will hopefully see it. My pastor, Don, will hopefully see it. Our, 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 our intern, Eddie, will hopefully see it. And, and that's where revival begins. It has to start here, and it has to start with me. I can't pray it for anybody else. I can only pray it for me. And if you're listening, and this is your heart's cry, if, if none of this makes any sense, then you've got some steps to cover beforehand. But you've got to begin to ask God to place within you this desire for revival in your life. You may have to recognize that you don't know him, that you've never been introduced to Jesus Christ in this way. So maybe your first step is, Jesus, save me. Save me from myself. Save me from my sin. And you're at that initial place where you turn to Christ and he pours into your life the Holy Spirit. And and, and then you'll have that fire to share him and to to show the world that he is real and active and living amongst us and wants to change our lives. But maybe you've been in church for a long time. Maybe you've been involved and you've been up and down in your faith and now all of a sudden it feels just a little bit colder and this is where I was at. And you want to feel that burning within your heart again. You want to feel that passion to share Christ. You want to feel that flame, that that heat, that energy within you that just has to get out and it has to be shared with people. And that desire to turn away from the things that have gripped you subtly but firmly have gripped you and, and have kept you from God and have caused you to stumble and struggle and not want to follow him. Then that's the place of being at a desire for revival. So today as we close, this has been a pretty heavy, heavy message and, and a fairly Christian-oriented message. I know a lot of what I share sometimes is, is more lighthearted and more remembrances of my life, but this one just, it felt like it needed to happen and it needed to happen at least in the context that I'm in right now with the movie that's out and the revival that has taken place in Kentucky. But what I pray for is that we would truly seek after God, that we wouldn't seek after an event, we wouldn't seek after a movement, we wouldn't seek after lightning in a bottle, we would seek after Jesus Christ. And that's how I want to pray for you today as we close. So bow heads. 
And I just pray, Father, I pray that we would seek you. May that be what, may that be my epitaph, that Jeff chased hard after Jesus Christ his whole life. And again, Lord, it's not all been perfect. It's not all been a perfect trajectory upward of seeking you more and more with my life every day. Some days there are steps backward, and many days there are steps backward. But there is this, hopefully, complete, eventual climb closer and closer to you. And that's the cry of my heart, Lord, right now, is that you would change me from within that you would take my eyes off of the things that would lure me away from you and that you would turn my eyes toward you and the things that you have for me and only those things, Lord, that my life would be marked by passion for you, service, love, caring, empathy, devotion, all of the things that you want from me all of the things that can be demonstrated in a life, but, n but not from the standpoint of doing them to try to get you to move, but watching you move and accomplish them through me. So Father, I ask that you would spark revival in me. I draw the circle right now around myself and I would ask, Father, that you would change me. And for those who are listening and are still listening to the very end of this episode, Lord, for those that don't know you, Bring them into the circle for the very first time. Reveal to them your heart. Let this make sense for the very first time. Give them aha moments and let them see you at work and see what you're accomplishing. Open their eyes and their ears and melt their hearts and change them, Lord, for the very first time that they may surrender their heart to you, that they may ask Jesus to come and dwell within them, that the Holy Spirit may take up residence within them, and that you may live your life out through them. Let them repent of their sin and turn to you. May them, let them confess with their mouth and believe with their heart and be changed. And Father, for those that know you and have grown cold like I have grown cold, Father, spark in us revival. Bring us back into that circle, Lord, and change us. Start here, start now, start with me. And Father, do in this world what you want to accomplish for your glory, for your renown, for, for your being lifted high and drawing all men to yourself, not for anything that would bring any recognition to me. May you bring revival into my heart today, here, and now, and do so for my friends who are listening. Father, we want to see you move. We love you. We commit our lives to you, and we look forward to what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, as always, for being a part of this. Thank you for supporting oral history through listening, through the donations that you give patrons, through just visiting our website, liking our, our Facebook page. However you are a part of this, thank you. I want to hear from you. If, if this is the first time that you have understood the gospel and you've responded, go to our website, aural-history.com. Click the chat button, click the email button, 
email me and let me know that God has moved in your heart in this way. If you have a desire for revival in your own heart and you are a believer, go to the website, rl-history.com, click the chat, click the email, and tell me exactly what has God sparked in your life. Thank you so much for being a part of this. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Aural History. This has been a production of Z Media and is copyrighted with all rights reserved. Join us again next time.